Hi, and welcome back to another episode of the Insignificant Others podcast, where everyone has a story. Tonight, our guest is Danielle Stevens, and she has an extremely powerful story. You're going to love it. But I'm joined, as always, by Robert Flint. Rob, what's your story? Oh, my God. Where do I begin, Brett? Where do I begin? So, uh, last night, um, actually, it was earlier this morning, if you want to get technical, I, I woke up at about 3 o'clock a.m., this just bone stark, wide awake, and I pick up my phone and I start to uh, peruse the, the headlines in the, in the wee hours of the morning, and I went to the Dallas Morning News and I ran across something that I thought was topical given the fact that the entire world is awaiting the premiere of the new Star Wars movie. Are you excited about that? Now, when did the original Star Wars come out? Do you know the year? Uh, I do know the year, and this is going to date us. I mean, though, even though we look very young. Yeah. But it came out in uh, 1977. Wow. 19, May 27th of 1977, to be exact. So I'm on the Dallas Morning News, and I see an article that was posted by a lady that references the original review that appeared in the Dallas Morning News. So it's the Dallas Morning News. So the movie just came out, and it's the original review of that. Yes, the original review that was written by a person who is no longer on this earth. Uh, So I read the review, and actually the the snippet in in this little online piece was the original review. snippet of the review that appeared as it did in the paper at that time. So wow. I read through it, and it's really, it's, it's really pretty fascinating. Um, and I'm not going to read the entire thing. Thank you. Thank you for not reading the entire thing. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure our listeners are, are excited to hear that as well. But I thought that, you know, uh, we read this earlier, and I thought... By the way, it doesn't surprise me that you're kind of a sci-fi geek, yeah. kind of Trekkie. We're a big Star Trek fan. Uh, no, I, you know, I, I'm not a Star Trek fan. I'm a Star Wars fan. Okay. But you're a Star Trek fan, right? No, so if, if the original movie came out in 77, I'm guessing it was late 80s before I saw it. The Star Wars movie? Yeah. So your parents... Uh, it's probably, let's see. Uh, no, I was probably in high school, so it had been... Uh, I graduated in 84, so 83 or something like that. Wow. But no, I never was... Uh, it, science Do you fiction hold a grudge never, against your parents? For the mistreatment of you? No, no, I'm not a sci-fi stuff doesn't interest me that much. But I, I mean, they're they're good movies now that I've seen them. Yeah, no, they're great movies, and I'm excited to see the new one. And I don't have tickets. I'm going to wait for everybody else to see it, and then I'm going to go see it. Which that means that I'm probably not going to see it until like December of 2016. Yeah. <laughs> but nonetheless, so I, I you know read through it, um, and 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 and. You know, actually, I'm not going to read this snippet, but uh, what really caught my attention, and this is kind of out of left field, uh, was one of the last lines in the article itself, and it got me thinking. So uh, he says, John Williams's majestic, thrilling musical score deserves the best possible sound system, but the entire film is a monument of behind-the-scenes wizardry. So, uh, and this is how my brain works, right? There's there there it, it there's no such thing as linear. It's all it's all kind of random. Yeah. So I started thinking about John Williams. And do you know who John Williams is? And I'd never heard of him before. This. <laughs> yeah. You're gonna wish that you were his long lost son after I'm done telling yeah. you this story. But I think he was my grandfather. <laughs> <laughs> John Williams, 
<laughs> Are you my father? Do I look anything like him? <laughs> yeah. No, you don't, unfortunately. But Crap. no, no, but but in all seriousness, so so I, I was or am familiar with John Williams and his work. So uh, long story short, John Williams is is probably the the musical composer uh, for movies and, and other media outlets like of all time. So he is written- so like what so like what I mean so Star Wars is very identifiable. I mean you hear yeah. that you know it's Star Wars. Yeah no absolutely. So let, let, let me throw out this, and this is not his entire body of work. So we're we're talking Jaws, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Jurassic Park. I mean, that's that's just a few. So did he do Joe Dirt or Waterworld? I mean, he did. Like, I mean, is he that good, or did he just do those low-budget films? Uh, I think he's probably that. Maybe his only regret, as he, you know, he's basically. Uh, let's see how old he is. He is eighty-three years old, and I'm sure that he's sitting in his uh, very large mansion in uh, Malibu, uh, regretting the fact that he was not given an opportunity to write the musical score for the movie Waterworld. Yeah, or Joe Dirt. I mean, don't underestimate Joe Dirt. You know, they're lo- coming out with a Joe Dirt, a Joe Dirt too. Well, I I would expect that they would. <laughs> I mean, life is a garden. Dig it. So, so this guy. So, in addition to those movies, and I, you know, I, I have to admit, he and I and I love this song, and I get chills. Um, down my entire body when I when I hear it. He wrote the musical score for the Olympics. The Olympics. Oh, really? Oh, absolutely. NBC Nightly News. This guy's won countless Grammys. So he's getting royalties every... Every day. Two years now. Speaking of, so what do you think John Williams is worth? What is his net worth? Uh, oh, it's it's got to be just a little above mine. <laughs> yeah, it, it it is not a little above yours, and no offense. There's kind of multiples that it's, are pretty large there's, above there's mine. Multiples. Yeah, he is worth a cool 100 mil. That's a lot of money. And if you ever saw him walk down the street, and I'm being literal here, could you point him out in a crowd? No, I've never heard of and him. That's the genius of John Williams. So he he has that that body of work, and yet. You wouldn't recognize him. I wouldn't recognize him if he walked down the street. No. And I think that is the ultimate mark of success. I, Danielle, have you ever heard of Paul Williams? No, John, Paul, John, John Williams. Paul, John, Paul Williams John. was the little short guy, remember, from like Smokey and the Bandit? <laughs> 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 I used to love Paul Williams. Okay. Anyway, okay. have you ever heard of John Williams or is that news to you too? The complete news. But you, you know the songs that I'm referring uh, to, Absolutely. Right? Yeah. No, yeah. movies, yeah. The movies, and the, yeah. And the songs and the, the songs, tunes. Yeah. And so, you know the songs I'm referring to, don't you, Danielle? I sure do. I'd like to meet him, but I don't. Or the musical scores. That's unbelievable. Well, speak slowly because Danielle's from Jackson, Mississippi, where we know the education system isn't the top. It, it is the bottom, actually. Yeah. I think 49th or 50th. Well, it's, I think this is a great segue over to, uh, uh, from John Williams, not Paul Williams, but John Williams. It's a big difference that, there. We'll save that for another podcast. Yeah, I would love to interview Paul Williams, but um, uh, thank you for being here in the Insignificant Others podcast studio. <laughs> We're really excited Fabulous. to have you here. Worldwide studio. Worldwide studio, yeah. Headquarters. So it's, it's, it's the worldwide headquarters. It is. It's it a is. Global, uh, global seat, really. For, for insignificant others. So well, we're about so to take over the world. I'm happy to be here. So uh, give us a little bit of your background, kind of growing up, where'd you come from, all that. 
All that. Well, I didn't come from a big mansion in Malibu, I can tell you that. Um, I grew up in Mississippi from Jackson, ended up in Dallas because I went to SMU and worked in an advertising agency for a while. And Okay, so I I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop you there. So to me, that's a, that's a disconnect and it shouldn't be. But growing up in Jackson, Mississippi, what made you want to go to SMU? Well, it was... Uh, forced by my parents they were like you must get out of Mississippi you got to try something new If you don't like it you can always come back but you're getting out of here okay so that's good forethought on their part of saying okay there's there's more to the world than Jackson Mississippi my my husband and I laugh I think if they knew I never was going to come back that they would have rethought that and (laughs) said absolutely you can go to Ole Miss but um but no I came here and loved it and Never look back. So what you like about SMU? I think SMU is a really kind of unique environment for a school. It's a smaller school. It's it in a big city. But what was it What was it like going to school there? Well, I really liked it because it was people from all over. You know, I mean, it was, you know, my friends were from, you know, Atlanta and from Tennessee. And just it, everybody just kind of, I don't know, just fit together. So my best friends were from Arkansas. And, you know, just everybody was really nice. I mean, it seems everybody says it's such a snobby school and all that, but people were just really, I found down to earth and normal, you know? So were, were, is it, is it true that most of the girls that went there went for an MRS degree? Now, you know, what's so funny is not one of my friends married anyone that they dated at SMU. Not one. Really? Mm-hmm. Interesting. Not one. They all married people that were from completely different places than they grew up and you were in a sorority i was what were you i was a kappa kappa all mm-hmm. right my wife was a kappa not at smu but yeah good for her kappa's rule they uh do. They do. all right so then Are you you're w- gonna give her the secret handshake i i shoot my wife would never divulge that to <laughs> of me not. of course it's not. it's a secret it, it handshake ergo secret uh, <laughs> So, uh, so then into advertising. So what made you wanted to get into advertising other than, I mean, this is pre-Mad Men, so. Well, you know, what was funny is I remember, I, I kind of think maybe my dad, I was actually an only child growing up, and I think my dad may have wanted a boy because every weekend we watched sports together. So, I mean, anything, no matter what was on, swimming, boxing, diving, I mean, of course, I, football I love, especially college football, but any sport we would watch together. And I really remember the beer commercials, like with uh, Bob Buecher, and that his yeah. name? Yeah. And I remember some of the Bud Light commercials, and I just always remember being so intrigued by them. I always thought they were so funny. And I wasn't in the creative side. I was in the account service side, but I just always was drawn to the commercials. And um, so I really always wanted to be in advertising, but I majored in psychology, which people are always like, oh, that's so good. It's such a, you know, connect with advertising, but I don't think I paid well enough attention in college for it to really <laughs> connect for me. But um, Actually, there probably is a, a, a good correlation between psychology and advertising. I think there is if you studied a little bit harder, but, um, <laughs> you know, I loved it and, you know, did it. I interned when I was in college and started working right after, so... So that's, when were you at SMU? Um, 92 to 96. All right. So what was the hot spots to go to back then? That's post-confettis. That's we, um, well, when I was in college, we went to, it was the Green Elephant, which is now the Barley House, oh, and yeah. the Rhythm Room, which is, 
I mean, all those bars like there on Yale and uh, Dyer and wherever else. And then right after, we would go to Deep Ellum some. Back when it was safe. When Yeah, when you wouldn't get shot. And, um, 28, 26? Yeah. Yeah. And like Trees, they would always have good bands. Like Big Head Tide would come play. It was so fun. Um, and then out of college, like we would still go to Deep Ellum back when it was safe. And now... Different. It's different, but it's, it's com- very different. Deep Ellum's coming back. Is it a bit? Yeah, I haven't been down there lately. Yeah. The the only reason now that uh, what was the restaurant that was so good that was uh, the Green Room? Oh my god, the Green Room restaurant. So now, good. when that closed down, the only reason to go back now is Pecan Lodge. Mm. If you have not eaten at Pecan okay. Lodge, and we're not getting paid by Pecan Lodge here, we should be. <laughs> we should be Pecan sponsored Lodge by is. The best barbecue in Dallas by far. Okay, so okay, I, I'm not to digress, Danny. Are you a barbecue fan? I do love I mean, barbecue. Yes, right? so of course. Have you been you to have Pecan to. Lodge? No, but Chad talks about it. I have not been. I've read about it. I have heard people talk about it. You have not been. I have not been. And look at me. Would you? Are you not shocked right now that I have not been to that place and stuffed myself full of barbecue? So I'm going to give you a tip here, Please. and and so. The, <laughs> Thanks for being here, Danielle. We're going to talk about something else. I'm sorry. Uh, here's a tip when you go to Pecan Lodge. We learned this. So we've been there. Uh, so we went to Pecan Lodge back when it was at the farmer's market. Okay. And a and long story of why we went there. But uh, when they moved over to Deep Ellum, we went there. And when we got there, uh, go after church, the line is at least an hour long. Oh, it's right. crazy. We learned this on the first trip. The second time we went back, we knew about it. And, and since we only have like two listeners, nobody's going to really jump the line on this. But they've got a, a separate line inside. So you don't have to wait in the long line. As long as you buy five pounds or more, you can go straight to that line and oh, it's really, really? short. Not so they, a have, they have a thing called the trough that gives five pounds. So you can get a pound of uh, ribs and a pound of brisket I have, I and all that. I have one of those in my house. And it, <laughs> and it is so... I, I cannot tell you. Okay, it, I have to go. So, you know, I like Peggy Sue's. And I, I like barbecue in general. But this is, if there is gourmet barbecue, sounds like a, a contradictory term. So it is really so good. That sounds very highbrow. It does. Okay. It does. Gourmet barbecue. But it's, yeah, it's really done. good. Have you ever had a gourmet donut? Like a cronut? <laughs> <laughs> that's no. a cronut. So that big thing they talked about it for like a year. The thing in New York that's like half croissant, half donut. Oh, a cronut. Yeah. Okay. I thought you said I thought you were marrying gourmet and donut in a gournut. No, okay. That would be too smart. I uh, know. No. <laughs> They, All talk, right. they talked about it for forever. No, but no, I love me some barbecue. Yeah. I do. So barbecue will will get me off uh, topic very quickly. But so let's get back to advertising. Uh, if you were to advertise Pecan Lodge, no, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> so you worked in advertising for how long after college? I mean, on and off for close to 15 years. Wow. Yeah, long time. That's a long time. It was. In. Uh, what accounts did you work on there? Church's Fried Chicken. All right. Fabulous. Uh, Papa ha- John's Pizza. I haven't been there in 20 years. Yeah. Well, okay. you would have to drive quite far yes. to yes. go there. Uh, Papa John's Pizza, Black Eyed Pea. Oh, I used to right love Black Eyed Pea. I know. What, why have they gone downhill? 
There are They've just disappeared. Reasons. Well, there's actually one when in Preston Gene Street, Center. When Gene Street sold them. Mm-hmm. There's a Black IP in Preston there's Center. There's one in Preston, right across from the Y. What? I know, no one knows. What? I know. There's what? a Black IP? Uh-huh. Is it the original? Probably not. Because Gene Street started it right, and when he sold it, they kind of went downhill. Yeah, down. they went yeah. downhill, and it was bought by, I can't remember, they were some guys out of Nashville, and it was just not the same. And yeah, they, we tried to revamp it, and it just didn't go anywhere. They probably changed advertising firms and lost you, and the whole thing went to hell. I know. There's that, no that, luck in the name. No. None. No, I know. You know? People aren't going there on New, Year, or no, New Year's Day, and they're black eyed peas. That's their problem. Um all right, Those so are the three main accounts. That advertising for 15 years. Mm-hmm. During that time frame, you got married. I did. All right. How did you meet your husband? Um, we actually met through mutual friends. One of my best friends from college married one of his best friends from sixth grade on up, and they set us up. And It was love at first sight for him? For him. <laughs> For him, it was. Okay, good. Um, and it took you, like, what, two years, three years to come around? <laughs> no, it took me a couple months. Oh, good. A couple months. Okay. Well, no, good. teasing. No, it was all good. And um, we were married 13 and a half years. That's great. Yeah. You're, so it's 13 and a half years right now? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I like, half. A half. You sound like, a, a t- you know, like a, an elementary school-aged child. So how old are you? I'm 13 I'm s- and a half, two weeks, <laughs> yeah. three, three, three quarters. days, and 45 minutes. Yes. Yeah. You, you want, want credit for time served. Yes, yeah. I do. Yes, you <laughs> for do. For time served, yes. yes, I do. You're not going to get that wrong again, are you? <laughs> no, I'm not. No, I'm going to round <laughs> next time. And you have two kids. We do. We do. Charlie and Georgia. All right. How old are they? They are 12 and 10. 12 and 10. Yes. One of them celebrated a birthday yesterday. Oh, no way. Yeah. Awesome. Hoverboard? Um, They're both asking for them for Christmas. Uh -uh. By the way, hoverboards are really, really cool. Uh, They're dangerous. That's what I. That's what I hear. They are. They are so dangerous, and that means that you bought one for one of your children, and you're now trying to justify it. So listen, after after we wrap this up, I want you to ride it. You'll fall in love with. Is it, it industrial proof? Uh, no, it, 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 you're talking about the fires or or what? <laughs> well, that. But I mean, how, what's the what's the weight bearing load max? Two fifty. Oh, okay. Well, we may be cutting it pretty close. <laughs> Not me, brother. <laughs> yeah, not you. Exactly. <laughs> uh, I wanna, but I, I Daniel, have, have you not read about these things? When I've seen it on, like, you know, well, they just try to scare you. They're like, they well, interview some head trauma specialist in North Carolina and say you're going to well, It's the coolest kid. thing in the world. I have a friend who's an um, orthopedic surgeon who said that that has done more to drive business than anything that has happened in the last 10 years. More so than CrossFit? More so, more so than CrossFit. Uh, but I saw a news piece today, and I don't know if you've seen this, but, but they now apparently self-combust. And there's now video. I'm, this is not a uh, joke. No, I've seen the video. This is not a joke. Well, that's if you buy like the $99 ones, oh, so right? You're going to buy the $9,900 one well, for it not course. to self-combust? They're not cheap. God, no. Okay. So you got one for your children. Well, yeah, well, you can't have, say. Have you have, Santa might? I, I don't. I, know. Well, so so my true. daughter, my youngest daughter, had a birthday uh, about ten days ago. She got one for a birthday. Okay. It has, has has it combusted yet? No, it's yeah. not not yet. <laughs> We're still waiting. 
You know when they're at school, Danielle, that he's riding the hell out of Oh, that you thing. know he is. It's, it, so I've never ridden a Segway before, but it's so intuitive. You just lean forward, lean back, and it... Yeah, the first time I wrote it, it was it was just really strange. And now, you know, the kids and even I can get on it and just zip around and you can maneuver around like this table and go around. It's it's really cool. I bet. I bet. Until it becomes a torch. <laughs> Has well, Charlie and Georgia asked for that for well, Christmas? They both have. And my problem with it is, is you know, they both have the ripstick. Remember that? Oh, yeah. You know, where you actually oh, yeah. have to move your legs to get it to go. Remember the movie Wally, where all the oh, people yeah. are so fat and they are just like floating in space and they can't even chew their food. They're Otherwise so known fat, as Disneyland. Basically. <laughs> and that's what I feel like these hoverboards are. You just like plop on them and they move you around. You don't yeah. have to do anything. Yeah. Well, you know. Yeah. Yeah, that's it, that's true. So it's, we'll we'll see that they both ask for them. They just have to talk to, to Elvin, Santa. our elf on the shelf, about it, and he'll go talk to Santa about it, okay. and we'll see how that goes. Okay. Yeah. Well. Yeah. They're you know they're they're hard to get right now. They are. Santa so, might be on back order. It's this year's version of Teddy Ruxpin. Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> it's this year's Cabbage Patch. The Cabbage Patch. It's this yes, year's it cabbage is. Patch. Uh-huh. You know. Popular gifts of Christmas past. Oh my God, Cabbage Patch Kid. Oh yes. My God. Did you have one? Oh my God, yes. You know what's so the, well? They're scary I, as as all get out. Real quick side note: A friend of my mother's gave Charlie one when he was maybe two or three. It's in his closet, which is so creepy. And like once a month, he's like, "Why is that thing in my closet?" Like it's literally <laughs> like facing him, and I won't throw it away. I won't get rid of him. He has a cabbage patch kid in his closet <laughs> he's 12 that's a little creepy it's super creepy that is weird you should probably sell it on park city's <laughs> online yard sale by the that way which flag. is awesome so okay another side note guys let's just get off on tangents as much as possible <laughs> so uh my youngest daughter used to love legos all this got legos all of a sudden uh, I guess Legos are a big thing on the Park City's online yard sale. Uh, plug for you guys. Maybe you should sponsor us. That's a freeze. But anyway, um, in a two-day period, she made $180 selling her old Legos. I believe it. Are I you mean, kidding it's crazy. me? $180. Just leave it on the front porch. Somebody comes, puts it in the mailbox. You're gone. So my son started rummaging through everything. He was going through my stuff. I was like, dude, that's mine. You can't sell that. You're like, I <laughs> love my- that shirt. Yeah. <laughs> Just trying to sell as much as possible. So, yeah, it's It's, it's, it's unbelievable, powerful. yeah. The mommy mafia controls it, so you have to have permission to get into it. So for those who don't know, what what is what is the Park City's yard sale? It's a Facebook page, but you have to be approved to be on it. And then you sell stuff. And then it's you it's sell, basically yeah. like an online garage sale. Okay. I'm just, you know. So I'm, people people are selling cars and know, people are selling, selling Legos. I, selling sold, I sold two mirrors literally 10 minutes before I came over here. Really? I did. How much did we make? $125, but I bought them for 250 so well, I lost money. Where are we yeah. going after this? Um, for a, Yeah. <laughs> Before, before you came over to the global headquarters of the Insignificant before Others podcast. I, before y'all heli- helicoptered me over yeah. here to the <laughs> yes, headquarters. Yes. Yes. And, 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 and you was, brought your own wine, which is uh, so appropriate and such a shame at the same time. <laughs> well, you do what you got to do. Drinking to, is part of the Insignificant Others podcast. It really is. And, and 
I don't know if that's something to celebrate no, or really just well, kind I think of. So. It, it is, and actually, I think this podcast is brought to you by the Ramy Chardonnay. And yes, the, it is. And the Hess Select Cabernet Sauvignon. Mm-hmm. You like that? Sauvignon. You Sauvignon. Like that? Yes. So yeah. So I don't like I said I don't know if it's something that we celebrate or we should just laugh nervously and change the subject. But uh, <laughs> I will I will laugh nervously and change the subject. So okay. Back to Danielle because it's it's not about Rob. It's not about me. It's about Danielle. Okay. It is. Okay. About. So grew up Jackson, Mississippi. Go to SMU. Did not get an MRS degree. You actually had a career in advertising that spanned a decade. Had two kids, uh, got married, and kind of share with us in your own words, what what ended your advertising career? Um, A a phone call from a doctor ended it really quick. Um, I'd been tired, like that crazy, crazy pregnancy tired that most women listeners out there can relate to. And I'd gone to an internist and was like, you know, I just don't feel right. Something's wrong. And Okay, I'm sorry to interrupt. Uh, in For some reason, saying I'm sorry makes it better. But uh, <laughs> So just like serious lethargy or were you just... It, it was, it, I just really felt off. You know, some days you just don't feel right. I'd been really nauseous and... Um, so tired like in the afternoons where I literally couldn't even function it was really weird and so for how long uh, a couple of weeks and then also I kept hearing my heartbeat in my ears you know sometimes when you work out and your heart rate is going you hear your heartbeat I was hearing it like 24 7 which we come to find out is a sign of anemia but we didn't know that at the time and um so I go to the doctor and she's like oh you know we'll just watch it, come back in a couple weeks or whatever. And I'm like, okay, it's weird, but whatever. So I come back and she does blood work. And um, when I came back, it was funny because Chad and I had seen a little segment on the Today Show. They had interviewed some girl that had leukemia in the race. The way she found out was she just had all these random bruises on her. Yeah, I've heard that, yeah. And it was so crazy because literally I had like a grapefruit-sized bruise on the inside of my knee, like on my leg. And I showed it to her, and I was like, do you think I have leukemia? And she was like, you don't have leukemia. And I was like, okay, you know, I just wanted to ask. I think it's weird. And so they did blood work, and she called me, and she's like, you know, it it seems like you're anemic or whatever. Your, you know, counts are kind of low. Come back in. We'll do it again. Came back in, and I should have known, you know, hindsight, 2020 or whatever, that something was wrong because normally they get back to you within 24 hours, and it took her like three days to get back to me. She called me when I was at work, and she basically said, Danielle, this is Dr. whatever, um, your red count is this, your white count is this, your platelets is this. This is very serious. You need to call this doctor at Texas Oncology. I go, but that's a cancer doctor. And she goes, I know this is very serious. And I said, I don't even know what red cells, white cells, and platelets are. And she goes, Danielle, this is serious. And I go, I understand this. Like she wouldn't, she wouldn't say the C word. She wouldn't explain to me what, yeah, she wouldn't say it could be cancer. 
She wouldn't explain to me what the counts were or anything. She just kept saying, this is serious. And I kept saying, I don't understand what you're saying. And she basically said, you need to call this doctor immediately and hung up on me. She hung up on you? She hung up on me. Wow. So what what was your feeling at that moment? Um, Well, I was pissed. I was really pissed. And I was scared to death. And I was, I'd gotten out of my cubicle and, um, Went and got my. I went back in there. I got my purse, and I got my. Went and got my car, and I called the number that she told me to call. And I called him. And the person that answered the phone was so nice, and I was like, you know, this is Danielle Stevens. I just got a call from my internist. She told me my counts were this. She told me to call you, and she. The lady was like, okay, you know, well, she's going to need to send over the paperwork, and I was so mad because I'm like, okay, oh well, yeah. If she's telling me to call you, why hasn't she already done this? This is serious. Why didn't you? you? Know, exactly. Why has she not helped me out? And so the lady started asking me questions, and I started bawling, crying. I go, this can't be happening. I was like, I'm 39 years old. I have two kids. I was like, why am I even talking to you? You know, you just you go into panic. You're yeah. like, I don't understand why this is happening. And she was so nice. She's like, it's going to be fine. Don't worry about it. But you have to get her to send this paperwork. So I had to call this back give approval yeah because okay can you please send this paperwork back you know over so i can go see this doctor so anyway you know panic totally sets in so i get in my car just start driving and um you know you just kind of go on autopilot so you left immediately and went to go see this doctor okay well i leave immediately and i just start driving and um I called Chad and I was like, okay, I just heard from the doctor. And he was like, well, what did she say? And, you know, basically yeah. told him what I just told y'all. And he was like, okay, that's not good. That's not good. He's like, where are you? And I kind of looked up and I was in his parking lot. You know, it was very weird, you know, wow, where you just end up. So he came out, we went home and the doctor calls back and they're like, you know, we can see you today. <laughs> And our dishwasher had been broken, and I was like, today doesn't work. Our new dishwasher's being installed. Um, We have priorities. Seriously, because I just go straight into denial. I'm like, this won't work. He grabbed the phone. He's like, we're on our way. So I've already heard, like, of the, what is it, the five stages? I heard anger and denial. Okay, seriously, all all in, like, an hour. And um, so we go, and um, they do blood work. And they immediately, you know, okay, it could be anything from lack of potassium to cancer. We really don't know. And so they do a bone marrow biopsy where they have to go in through your hip. Um, feels really good. That sounds like fun. Yeah. It's awesome. But wait, hold on a second. I, I want to I hear more about that because I've heard about, uh, you know, spinal taps and stuff like mm-hmm. that where it's like a, a knitting needle type. Is that really the size of it? Um, yeah, it, it, it's pretty similar. I mean, it's a pretty long needle where they, you penetrate know, bone. They penetrate bone and then they suck out stuff from inside your bone. Is um, there is there any uh, uh, anesthesia at all for that? Well, it, ironically, they didn't tell me that there was until I'd had about seven of them. So I'm kind of <laughs> like. <laughs> I mean, I've already oh, made it this far, yeah. so what's the point? And I'm I'm very impatient, so I didn't want. I'm like, I'm not going to waste the time waking up. I've already had this many. But um, the funny thing about the first one was, 
you know, they were trying to make light of it, you know, so they let Chad stay in there. It was the doctor, the nurse, and then I guess the lab tech to take the sample. And, you know, we're all shooting the shit, you know, making small talk. And then the lab tech, it's funny you brought up Star Wars because the lab tech's phone rings and his ringtone was Chewbacca. (laughs) And the doctor did not think that was funny. I mean, he gave him a look, but of course, Chad and I are dying laughing i mean we just thought it was so funny because it totally broke the ice i mean you need something chewbacca has that effect he really does and i it's funny i went to a star wars party this past weekend and i dressed up like chewbacca oh nice yeah i'll show you a picture on my phone you know chewbacca the actor that played him actually is from granbury texas is he really yeah a little fun he's fact. He's quite talented. Yeah. <laughs> in, in that suit. <laughs> he really he is. extremely talented. Um, anyway, long story short, this was on a Tuesday. And um, we go, I, the nurse takes me to the receptionist to make a, a follow-up appointment. And she goes, she needs to come in on Friday. And normally it takes like a week or so to get your results. And I looked at her. I go, is he rushing this because he's worried? And she goes, he's rushing it because he's impatient. And I knew something was not right at that point. So so how many days between that moment and then when you got the final? Um, that was on a Tuesday, and I found out on Friday. So what what was that like? Because that must have been a personal hell. Well, I immediately went into denial and just R- shut down. Rationalizing it, it's... It, it, Anything but. Anything but. Like, literally, that night, I was supposed to go to dinner with some first grade. My daughter was in first grade. Supposed to go to dinner with some moms in her class. Pino was one. Went to dinner with her and two other moms. And, um, you know, had this huge gauze pack on my back. You know, just went to dinner. No big deal. You know, Chad's at home on the internet searching up everything. What could it be? What could it be? And... We agreed we weren't going to tell anyone. He comes home from work on Wednesday, and he was like, don't get mad at me, but... And I was like, oh, my God. He told his mom, his dad, his best friend, (laughs) this, this. I was like, oh, my God. You know, it could be nothing. He was like, but it could be something. And so, anyway, I stayed in denial. He Googled everything, and... We were going in Friday, Thursday night. He woke me up at like one in the morning. He's like, okay, I've got it figured out. I've got it narrowed down. It's either this or this. And he literally gave me a panic attack, like a full-on panic attack where I was like, you know, had to take, you know. But anyway, so um, Friday was the day the doctor came in and delivered the news. And so what did he say? Um, Okay, okay, I'm sorry. I'm going to step back for a second. So between the time that you went to your original doctor, your uh-huh. internist, uh-huh. And, th- and this point, mm-hmm. how long is that? It was probably two weeks. All right. So then you've got two weeks where you're just kind of wringing your hands, not knowing what's going on. But, but with her, I guess it took, you know, a couple days, I guess three or four days for her to get back to me with the blood. So maybe it was a week and a half. Okay. okay. So, but as soon as she called me with the results... We called him. So, yeah, about a week and a half. So she called me on Tuesday to say, call him. It's going to be a week and a half of just hell. Yeah. You think until the doctor. So when the doctor says you have cancer, what's the. Well, he he walked in and, you know, we're. It's funny because, you know, in the movies or 
on a TV show, you know, you walk into this fancy doctor's office, you know, he's at this beautiful desk, he's got all these diplomas and, you know, the husband and wife are holding hands and, you know, he walks in and just has all the answers and it's not that way at all. I mean, we're literally in an exam room with the table, with the paper (laughs) cover, you know, I mean, it's, it's nothing. And we're sitting in two very uncomfortable chairs and he walks in and he just looks at us and he goes, it's not good news. And I didn't hear one other word he said Uh. after that, you know, and, and Chad explained it. So Chad heard after that, he he didn't say it's cancer. He said it's AML, which is a form of leukemia. And, um, you know, Chad had come in there with a notebook and a pen, just ready to take notes like crazy, thinking like the movies that he's going to have a plan of attack. So this is April? This is February 22nd. February 22nd, 2013. Mm-hmm. What, one of my best friend's birthdays. Like, it's so funny. We I had a birthday lunch wow. that, that I was supposed to go to that day. I mean, it's just bizarre, you know. That'll give you a hall pass to not go to that lunch. (laughs) But I literally, I looked at him at one point. I go, I I have a birthday cake I'm supposed to go pick up. Like, it's just your mind just doesn't. Default to. Yes, it's like this this isn't working for me. So did he have a plan? He did did go into the, we recommend, you know, the four to six weeks, you know, checking into the hospital four to six weeks of continuous chemo, where literally I'd be in the hospital nonstop, chemo for four to six weeks. And I was like, there's absolutely no way I'm doing that. Okay, so so there's so many things that I'm curious about. And, and first of all, thank you for sharing the story. I think, I think it's wonderful. But I find it fascinating of, you know, God forbid this ever happens to me or my family or anything. But... I'm really curious as to um, once you get that diagnosis, I'm sure there's okay. We've got to get a second opinion. We've got it absolutely. If you if you have time or are able, always, always, always get a second opinion. Always because it sounds like from what that doctor was telling you and what your actual treatment was, mm-hmm. there was a difference. So totally how did you different. get down the path that you went down? Well, um, my sister-in-law, Chad's sister, was actually diagnosed with a brain tumor when she was five months pregnant in 1998. See, uh, we, and, ha- we had a, uh, a friend of ours that was diagnosed with breast cancer when she was pregnant. Mm-hmm. And it's like you can't drink or you can't smoke when you're pregnant, but she went through chemotherapy when she was That's pregnant. That's amazing. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. So long story short, uh, when her the first doctor said you need to abort the baby immediately and, uh. and have treatment, and she was like, absolutely not. And so she went and had a second opinion, and they said – don't worry about it. We'll just keep a close eye on you. We'll deliver the baby, and as soon as she's born, you know, we'll we'll do the surgery. So anyway, so, you know, if they hadn't had a second, I mean, she's a junior in high school now, you know, and my sister's right. alive and well. I mean, she's wonderful, you know, my sister-in-law. But um, so anyway, so, I mean, second opinions are always a must. And so, so was it second opinion, third opinion, fourth opinion? How we, many? It? it was my third opinion. So um, that was a Friday, and so we spent that weekend. <laughs> Actually, we uh, 
had a lot of friends over and um, did a lot of this. And um, she's holding up a cup of wine. And the the funny thing is, is a lot of friends brought their kids over, and the kids did more destruction to the house than <laughs> adults did. Like Charlie's door came off the hinges, you know. Where, but it's just like woohoo, you know. Just sounds appropriate go, for yes, some reason. Go, go well, into there, denial. There's nothing it's better a, than having family and friends. Well, exactly, and, and destroying just, your house in straight yes. denial. I mean, and, and getting drunk. Exactly. I mean, one of my best friends from college came over at one in the morning with a so, full bottle of tequila, which was gone in 30 minutes. So was that a conscious decision? Did you and Chad look at each other and it's like, I'm getting shit-faced tonight? Well, we knew we were going to have some friends over and we were running some errands and we came home and there were probably 20 people at our house and... You know, within an hour, there were probably fifty people at the house, and we were just like, "This is—it's therapy. It's what you need." And um, a dear friend of mine who has been through the same, you know, situation—not the same cancer, but another one—literally followed me around, and anytime I took a sip, she would pour more back in there. So I mean, I was just like. All good. Cancer, schmancer. Exactly. Let cancer be damned. <laughs> exactly. Because right now I'm having a good time. I'm having a damn good time. Good. But, um, and then so Monday rolls around and we start making phone calls and Chad had a coworker that was diagnosed with leukemia a few years before and he was so helpful. Um, went with us to see a guy at UT Southwestern that we really liked. And then um, luckily we had a lot of uh, friends that had strings they could pull at MD Anderson and got us in and we literally finished meeting with the guy at UT Southwestern at like 6 30 Monday night found out we could get in at MD Anderson at like nine o'clock Tuesday morning drove to Houston got to Houston at like one o'clock Monday morning or Tuesday morning slept for a couple hours and went and met at MD so Anderson. I've heard all of these wonderful things about MD Anderson what's it like down there is it just like it's the craziest place ever. I mean, it's it's the most amazing place I've ever been, but yet at the same time, you walk in the doors and you look around at the people, and there are so many people that are so sick. I mean, I walked in, 39 years old, you would look at me, and I looked like the most healthy person you've ever seen. Except slightly hungover. From- <laughs> well, yes, exactly. exactly. I had like a three-day hangover. And you're just like, I'm not, I'm not supposed to be here. Like, I don't understand why I'm here, you know. And See all these that, bald people walking around that look sick. Seriously, exactly. And then there are people in wheelchairs, I mean, because they treat every kind of cancer. And um, But my leukemia doctor, in my opinion, is one of the greatest people on this earth. I mean, he is he's developed chemotherapies that are wi- widely used and today. what's his name? Dr. Contarjan. Okay. Um, and he's at MD Anderson? He is, and he's the coolest person I've ever met, besides Rebecca Brimage. But... Um, I, I mean, he's a genius, and I love him, and he, I did his trial drug, and it got me where I needed to be. And um, So, okay, so trial drug. So whenever I hear that, you know, is it's a little scary. I would imagine that that's a very scary thing. It was. And, and it, it's risk, mm-hmm. right? There's risk that you're assuming. And so what, what made you decide to move forward with him on that trial drug? Because he had done trials in the past that were now FDA approved. and so he had a good track record. He had a very good track record. And there was just something about him that was, I don't know, he had such a good bedside manner. And um, 
I don't know. He's just there was just something about him that you trusted, and that just I don't know. We just knew, and we agreed once we made a decision that we weren't going to look back. That yeah. we knew that's what we were going to do. See, I find it fascinating. It's it's you made a a life altering and in at the end positive, but at the at the time you don't know you're 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 gambling. To a degree. Definitely. And it was also in a different city. So we knew we were going to be away from our kids because yeah. we um, we started in March and we had to be there the whole month of March. We thought we were going to have to have to be there the whole week of April. Luckily, we got to come home after the first week. And then um, having a bone marrow transplant, you have to be in Houston 100 days post-transplant, not to mention the month you're there you have to be in the hospital for basically 30 days while you're having the transplant. So we knew we were going to be away from our kids, yeah. which was pure hell. Yeah. Okay. So I, I definitely want to delve a lot into the whole bone marrow transplant because there was, there was an outpouring of support for, for oh you God. in the community that was, that was really touching. But before we get into that, because I think that's going to be a, a great line of, of discussion, I, I got to know, you know, as a father of three, how do you tell your kids, mommy has cancer? Well, we told them the day we found out because, um, you know, Chad, you know, we had people, I guess, you know, I had that birthday lunch to go to. Chad had told a couple people before, so a few people knew something was go- something was going on. and um, Chad couldn't keep a secret. No, he could not. <laughs> and we got into a huge fight about that, but that's a side story. Um, and so we didn't want them to hear from a friend or from something. And so when they got home from school, we sat them down, and we were as honest as we could be. We said, you know, mom's really sick. She has cancer. You know, she's going to be fine. We're going to, you know, find the best doctors to take care of her. You know, we don't know what it's going to be yet, but it's going to be fine. I mean, they were seven and nine at the time. They were in first and third grade. So, so they're, they're young enough to be dumb enough, maybe? Yeah, exactly. And so I think it was kind of over their head. And, mm-hmm. you know, kind of as the days went on, they would ask a question here or there. I remember Charlie asked if it was contagious, um, <laughs> which I thought was kind of cute. But, um, I mean, it was way over Georgia's head. I mean, she had no yeah. clue. And Charlie was, you know, okay, you know, and... But they really didn't. It's not contagious, is it? No. Okay. Just no. <laughs> it's it's good, but um, but they really didn't ask much. But then when when you progress through the treatment, I'm sure their their perceptions changed. Yes, and when the first time, um, so they came to Houston in March when I was doing the trial drug, like for spring break, and you know, I mean, I looked totally normal, hadn't lost my hair, I felt fine, everything was great, so that was totally normal. And then I came home in April, still totally normal. And then um, went uh, when that when I found out I had a match, went back in May at the beginning of May to check. I had to do like a week of tests. Then it was admitted to the hospital, and then they didn't come back until Memorial Weekend. So I didn't see him for about a month. Wow. And then so when they saw me, I was bald and. Had gone through the chemo, wasn't feeling well, and um, 
we'll we'll get into that. And so where was Chad? So when, you know you're gone for Chad a month. was with me. And so who had your children? My mother in law, Chad's that's, mom. Wow. That's she a, she quit her job and literally moved into our house. That's amazing. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was pretty crazy. Okay, so God, there's so many places. This, uh, in in it's almost a morbid fascination with it because it's such a horrible experience. But everybody's so I've, curious. I am so curious about so many different things. I mean, let's look at it on the very surface of it of of your hair. Mm-hmm. Did it just start falling out in clumps? Well, I I was proactive on that part, and th- this makes me sound super shallow, but I, that was the one question I asked Dr. Levy when he said it was cancer. I said, am I going to lose my hair? And it's not that, like, it's just I'd always had long hair my whole life. I mean, literally, like, super long hair, and it wasn't like, ooh, I'm going to fix my hair every day. It's just... just it's part of you. I'd always had long are. hair. It yeah. is. And um, and he said yes. And I remember I asked him more than once because, you know, it's like you get the answer you don't want. You keep asking until you get the answer you <laughs> yeah. want. Well, it doesn't work that now, way. Now, see, Danielle, if, if, if I were in your shoes at that time, I would have asked the doctor, am I going to be skinny? <laughs> oh. Well, you know... You know what's so funny is don't don't think that question didn't come out of my mouth later. But um so anyway, so I knew I was gonna lose it and so I cut it for locks of love, you know, yeah. the because it was long enough to where I could send it in and I shaved it before I was admitted to the hospital because I didn't want it to fall out in clumps. I'm trying to picture you bald right now. I have it on my phone. I almost sent y'all the picture, well, but I didn't. Well, you've shared us pictures uh, of you going through the treatment, which we will post to our Facebook page. Yes, we do have a Facebook um, page. You were very nice to, to share those with us. But I mean, I have literally the picture when they shaved my head. So I had some friends that were so sweet to come down to Houston the day I was going in to the hospital to go with me to have so, my head shaved. So how... <laughs> so... I, I, this is such weird curiosity with everything you went through. Did you shave your head yourself? Did you have a friend do it? Did you go to a barber we, we, shop? Uh, well, uh, the, we the went stylist? to the place in MD Anderson, and it was literally the most depressing place you've ever been in. in your so there's a, there's a head shaving place in uh, in. Oh, and my friend God. Sally is so funny. It's got to be like going into the army where there's. See, I think that's literally what it was. They had two chairs, and they and I had like five friends with me, and they were like, only one person can come back with you. And my friend Sally grabbed my hair. She's like, we're getting the out of here and my friend Beth that was with us lives in Houston and then the rest of my friends had come down from Dallas and Beth called a place near MD Anderson and it was perfect I mean we went in there and Chad was with us and Chad was so and I mean imagine Chad with six girls oh, yeah. driving yeah. us around yeah. they're all like oh my god Chad you're the worst driver slow down oh my god you know everybody's <laughs> bitching at him and he's like oh my god and um so we went to this place, and she literally put my hair in a ponytail, cut it off. You know, we sent it in for locks of love, and then she started to shave it. And um, and I wouldn't look in the mirror, and she put a scarf on. And I did. it took me three days to look in the mirror with a scarf on. See, I think you'd be hot bald. I mean, looking at well, you right now, I mean, you'd be very attractive. And then you would, well, give, you would give Kojak a run for his money. Oh, thanks. Or Sinead O'Connor. Sinead. Sinead O'Connor. There you go. Sinead's well, kind of gone off the rails lately. She so has. I don't know. Well, you know, I could, Mike could give her a run for her money with off the rails. But um, So the first time you saw yourself bald? I screamed. 
Did you really? But it was on accident. I was in the shower and the the mirror was right next to the shower and I'd forgotten like my face soap and I reached around and saw a bald person and I screamed and Chad came running in there. He thought I'd fallen or something because you just, you kind of forget, you know, <laughs> and um, it scared me. But you then, thought it was really somebody else. Seriously. Well, you just, you're not used to yeah. it. And then after that, I was like, Oh, well, wow. wow. But I had like, I guess that much, stubble and then once you know it was still on my pillow chad just shaved the rest so i've I've heard that when it grows back that people that have had you know completely straight hair Mm -hmm. it comes back curly that's what i was really afraid of no change well it was i had this one little part here that was really wavy but that went away thank god (laughs) and now it's pretty much the same until curly hair comes back like the 80s and then you'll then i'll just get a crimp and iron and we'll be fine All right, so so your kids kind of too young to process it. You go to MD Anderson, you're going through this treatment, you go through this, you, you roll the dice, you go through the whole testing, the experimental drugs. What was that process like for you? You know, it, it actually went pretty well. I had um, one shot one day a week for five days, so I would go. But you had to do that. At MD Anderson. So you were away from home. I was away from home for the whole month of March. But it was just one week of shots, but they wanted to monitor me to make sure everything was okay. What what is it they're they're shooting you with? I mean, do you I I don't even know. It was I don't even know what was in it, but it was freezing cold and it burned so bad. I mean, like it, it was very, very painful, but it only lasted a couple minutes. So, so is I that mean, one of those where you can feel it like traveling up? Oh your yeah, uh-huh. oh yeah. So, but it, is it an FDA-approved drug now? Not that I know of. Really? But it's close. I mean, it's I know clo- it's close. Wow, okay. Um, You're probably one of the test subjects in their FDA Well, the process. crazy thing about MD Anderson is they're always, you know, doing all these trials. And when I first got there, they, um, they have a program called the Moonshot Program where they have committed to curing, I think it's seven cancers within the next 10 years. Is that just shoot for the moon type mm-hmm. of thing? And, and so they said, do you want to participate in this program? And I'm like, well, what do I have to do? And they said, all you have to do is whenever we draw blood, you have to give like two extra vials. And whenever you do a bone marrow biopsy, we just take a little extra. And I'm like, well, absolutely. Like, why would you not? Okay, so so help me understand here because to a degree, this sounds like somewhat risky behavior did they give you a a time frame of or or a prognosis of if if you don't do this you have x amount of time i mean was there any of that discussion at all yeah there always is like if you don't find a donor within you know a certain amount of time i mean they never specifically said i think with mine it was like you know 18 months or two years I think that's like the average or whatever, because um, I think it also depends on your diagnosis. Like mine was, they originally thought it was AML, which technically means your blast count, which is the cancer cells is 20% or higher. But then when they retested my blood at MD Anderson, it was 19%, which is MDS, myeloid dysplastic syndrome. So... Anyway, MDS is 
I think MDS comes back. Wait, it's one of them's like harder. I can't remember. Like one of them's harder to treat. One of them yeah. comes back anyway. I mean, there's always something <laughs> tricky about. It's sad that I don't even know that. But. Okay. Okay. So you you get really drunk after your diagnosis. Yes. <laughs> you gamble with your 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 prescription, so to speak. Any other risky behavior? When did you, you know, you go down to. to South Dallas and get some heroin? Just okay. I, I did. I was like, shoot it up between my toes. <laughs> Why not? You know, no, I'm kidding. But I mean, you just, I don't know. You're just so freaked out. It's like I don't even know what to do. So, uh, you know, one thing we've we've kind of jumped past is is uh, between your diagnosis and your bone marrow transplant. Mm-hmm. There was a real outpouring of support from the community, and I forgot the numbers, but I think it was like three thousand people signed Almost, up to be bone marrow yeah. bone marrow crazy. donors. It was so. As you're going through that, I mean, here you are. You're diagnosed with cancer. You know you need a bone marrow transplant. You've got people coming out of the woodwork. I've seen pictures of of Troy Aikman and Daryl Johnston from the Dallas Cowboys at these events. What was that like just to see, uh, it, I mean, it's, it's, it's got to be wonderful, but it's also got to be kind of a burden to a degree of, of seeing everybody rallying around you. Well, it, it's the whole guilt factor, you know, like so many good friends did everything in their power to, you know, make sure I found a donor. I mean, my brother-in-law literally made it his mission. He walked every carpool line at every, you know, UP hire, Armstrong, Bradfield, Christ the King. I mean, no shit. I mean, every single carpool line. He made it his mission to get as many people to register as possible for that drive. And at the drive, they ran out of swab kits. And he got so upset with the person that was in charge of it. He was like, I told you we needed more forms. I told you, I told you, I told you. And he made it his mission. And one of my very best friends, Cindy, almost got arrested in Whole Foods parking lot for loitering because she wouldn't leave the parking lot because she was passing out flyers to people to come to the drive. She made the manager at Williams-Sonoma in Highland Park Village when they were still there cry because he wouldn't put my poster up (laughs) in the window. I mean, they made it their mission. Like, we were going to uh, Houston one weekend because I had to, I guess, go down for something. And she was like, I would love to go. She goes, I want to go and be with you. She goes, but I really want to walk around Snyder Plaza this weekend and pass out flyers. She goes, your match could be there this weekend. And, I mean, it was crazy. I mean, people made it their mission to find. But, But that's a testament to you, though. Well, I mean, but that is so funny that you say that. I mean, but that makes me feel so guilty. You know, I mean, it makes me like they worked so hard and it's the sweetest thing. You know, it's just it's amazing. But so but but one good thing about them running out of forms is they did another drive that Friday at ESD. So that it was it was at St. Michael's. On uh, April seventh, that I went Sunday. To that drive well, thank you so and so much. Did my wife, did you guys? I was already a donor. So no. you already a donor. Okay. Um, but Do you then, know the Anderson family? Which one? It was her daughter. Anyway, I went. Well, thank you. I, I 
Well, I'm glad you're already in it. But I, actually, um, I actually got contacted about being a potential match for somebody, but they found somebody that was closer to somebody in California. Oh, wow. And you know, my husband had been contacted twice because he registered uh, when he was in college. He had a friend from high school, you know, people that own S&D. Oh, yeah. Their, their the son. Stories. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my, um, my wife's family yes. and my wife is very good friends with them. Um, and so Chad they're and Charlie. his sister. Yes. Yeah. They're uh, my husband and sister-in-law were in the registry because of him, and so Chad had been contacted twice. Now, were you in the registry before this? No, I, I didn't even know. I never even thought about yeah, it, no, I, you I just, know. Just, but um, but the good thing about them running out of forms was they had a smaller drive that following Friday, you know, just in case. So was your donor found from one of these drives? No. Somewhere else in the country? Um, but But donors were found... Yeah. From it, and um, uh, one of them was found from the one on Friday. So if they hadn't have run out of no forms, and it was actually a, a mom who had kids that went to UP. Wow. Really? Yeah, it's so crazy. And the last count I got, um, and they also had a drive in my hometown of Jackson. So between the three drives, technically yeah. over 2,600 people were registered. Wow. And 10 people have uh, donated. Have been 10 lives saved. Have been that's saved. amazing. And, um, so that's a, that's a 10x factor for you. So oh, it's I mean, you're, you're giving back already. So, so let's and go back to the donor. So My donor? Your donor. Mm-hmm. Did, did you meet her? It's a him. Or a His him. name's Dave, yeah. He lives in New York. Really? Mm-hmm. Did you meet him? We have not met. We um, So the rule is you are not allowed to exchange information for a year. But before that time, you can. I'm allowed to write a note, but I can't basically give any information. It, like it can't even be on monogram stationary with my initials. Like it can either be a D or an S. It can't be like DS. It can... And it can basically just be like, dear donor, thank you so much. Sincerely, your recipient. Like, it's so generic. Okay, so your transplant happened two and a half years ago? Mm-hmm. So, and so, so jumping ahead a little bit, you, you, two and a half years ago, you had a bone marrow transplant. Yes. And since then, you are now cancer-free. Yes. So in that time frame, y'all still haven't contacted because you're past that now, right? Past what? I thought you said it's a one-year window. Well, there's a year. So from my transplant date, May of 2013, we could not contact each other until May of 2014. Right. And that's when you're allowed to submit your information. And so say I didn't want to contact him or he didn't want to contact me, there's a mediary there that helps. Yeah, kind of so I that. so of course I immediately turn my information in. Right. But say he didn't want to meet me, he didn't have to turn his information in. So I didn't get his information for at least six months or so after that. Wow. But I'd always heard from the very beginning. So when I got the call, this is so crazy because so twenty two kind of became my lucky number so to speak if you can have a lucky number with cancer because I was diagnosed on the 22nd uh, February 22nd I got the call on April 22nd that they found a donor I had my transplant on May 22nd I came home on on August 22nd 
Like it was just weird stuff. But um, Emmett Smith's number twenty-two. I do love Emmett. I really do. <laughs> um, okay, can you can you give us a little uh, brief overview of what a bone marrow transplant entails for you? Well, it, it's so interesting because I mean, I mean, just the thought when you hear bone marrow transplant, like I would have thought like they would have to like saw your arm open and get your marrow out and do some crazy thing. Literally it is so uneventful. Like, so I had a port put in, it's um like a, a line basically. It had three lumens coming down. It was just going into your vein. Yes. Yeah. And um, it was basically a bag of, it looked like a bag of blood. It was basically a bag of bone marrow and they hooked it up to my port, and it took 12 hours. And just to seep in? Mm-hmm. So it's not necessarily, they're not taking yours out, but something else in, they're just seeping well, in some they, other. they had basically killed all of my bone marrow. You know, they'd killed all the cancer cells and everything. Chemo kills it, mm-hmm. and then you put in some healthy they put cells. In the, they put in the healthy stuff, and ironically, the healthy stuff knows exactly where to go, where to set up shop and start creating it's amazing but literally um, I did I sent y'all a picture it's me and Chad sitting on the bed and you can see it's just it's literally I mean it's the color of your shirt and it's a bag like that big wow and he literally donated it the day before and there's a courier who literally takes it in a briefcase on an airplane it can't leave their side like if they go to the bathroom on the plane they have to take it with them like an organ donation basically have to take it with them everywhere and they fly to md anderson i don't know where he donated like what hospital he donated but just um, think of the frequent flyer miles that guys get that's crazy oh especially just imagine if he got to fly virgin airlines that'd be awesome (laughs) (laughs) so so let me ask you this i mean I, i think you know everybody who has not been diagnosed with cancer kind of, you know, would want to know this, but so what was your lowest point? Did you ever have moments? I mean, I'm sure you may have had moments of doubt, but looking back, what was your lowest point during this entire experience? You know, I I never had moments of doubt that I wouldn't find a donor or anything like that. Like I knew, I guess I never gave up hope or anything like that. I just, I knew it would work out. But during the 30 days in the hospital, there was definitely. And that probably, was when you didn't have your kids. Yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, I mean, overall not having your kids is the yeah. worst point, but, but I guess physically the low point was probably about a week where you're just, you're so wiped out where you're, you know, I mean, this is, graphic but you're so nauseous you're throwing up so much to where you're throwing up blood just oh. non-stop and um my sweet daughter when they finally came I was in so much pain they gave me a morphine drip and um I, I was so out of it I kept forgetting to push it and so the nurse was like anytime it turned the light turns green that's when you can hit it again. Well, I was so out of it, I wasn't paying attention. So Georgia took it upon herself to push it every time wow. the light came on. So my liver was so damaged from the chemo 
Not the drinking when you got the diagnosis. Well, exactly. Or the drinking from when I was like 14 on. Because when you grow up in Mississippi, there's nothing else to do but start drinking wine coolers. Um, Pearls and James, maybe. Oh, my gosh. Wild berry, yes. Um, But so she kept pushing it, and so my liver wasn't processing it. And so I started to go crazy, and I... OD'd on it basically, and they thought I had a stroke. And oh my goodness, long story short, it was in your daughter's there, yes. And I uh, started to go crazy, and my children saw that, and they thought I had a stroke, and it was, it was a mess. And so, basically, after that, they saw that they had to leave CAT scans, MRIs, wow, you know. And I basically slept for like four days. and talked to the balloons in the room, saw people in the room, and it was really? it was not pretty. Wow. Looking back, it's funny, but at the time it was scary. So for Chad, I didn't know what was going on. So let's let's look look at the positive side of all of this, right? Okay. So when when did you find out that, you know, well when you went home, mm-hmm. right? Um when did you find out that you were cancer free? Um, that's a really good question. Um, trying to think. So afterwards I had to go like every month and then every, so I guess after a year. So, so like, cause I had to go every month and then every two months. So once a month you'd have to fly down to MD Anderson Mm -hmm. and do a bone marrow biopsy. But I guess technically... So, so uh, I'm sorry. So you have the bone marrow transplant. Mm-hmm. And then once a month you go down and they're taking a bone marrow Biopsy. sample. And mm-hmm. they're checking it out to see if the cancer is still there mm-hmm. or not. And everything always looked good. I mean, but still, I, I guess technically they, they don't give you the green light until two years. Okay. But they say it looks good. They say it there's no, yeah. no signs. But they technically don't call you cancer-free until two years. So that would have been this past May. This past May. So mm-hmm. this past May, they they finally designated you cancer free. Yeah, or in remission. Yeah, or remission. So, yeah. So remission is, is an important word because what's the prognosis going forward? How often do you have to be checked? What? Not until a year. Not for another year. Uh, every year you go back, mm-hmm. they do a bone marrow biopsy again. Correct. Once a year. Yes. For how long? Like if you go five and, years? No, I'll do it every year until five years, and then after five years, I don't know. Hope. So when when you, let's say you don't have a good day. I mean, mm-hmm. everybody 100% healthy mm-hmm. has just kind of, I feel sluggish, I feel mm-hmm. not my, my normal self. Does that, when you experience that, does that cause you concern? Oh, absolutely. Do you, you kind of go into a panic and say, oh, totally. I don't feel like 100% Danielle, oh my God, something bad's happening. Oh, I went last week and had my oncologist here do a, my really uh-huh. wow yeah but just I mean I get paranoid no, I mean, you know? I, well, yeah. rightfully so mm-hmm. rightfully so yeah so you're cancer free now yes. you go back and check once a year what are the the ramifications of being a cancer survivor now of having a bone marrow transplant are there things you can't do um I mean at this point I mean, I'm sure there are. I mean, my doctor was so funny because, you know, drinking was a huge no-no for a very long time. And so 
at my two-year appointment, I was like, so does this mean I can drink now? And he gave me the, well, you know, women should have, you know, three ounces or whatever it is, six <laughs> ounces a week or, you know, the, six ounces what, whatever it week? is, the technical... You know, I, I men can yeah, have the dietary two, intake. It yes. was very, you know, very it, calculated. It, it, yes. it sounds scientific. like when my wife was pregnant, it's like, you know, you can have a glass of wine. It's okay. One. With moderation. She's like, I don't want a glass of wine. I want a bottle. Well, exactly. And so I took that as, okay, so you mean my binge drinking on the weekend <laughs> is totally fine? Did, did uh, he know you were from Jackson? Yeah. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> um, but so, I mean... I took his words very uh, loosely. Okay. So, very so loosely. you could start drinking again. Any other ramifications of it? Oh, I mean, um, oh, the the one thing that's really crazy is the sun. You can't be in the sun at all. Why is that? And basically, that's forever. Um, because the one of the biggest problems with the transplant is graft versus host, where your body rejects the new cells. Yeah, and it shows up in either skin rash um, in your liver or really bad stomach problems, and so basically they told me I have to avoid the sun basically for the rest of my life. Really, and nobody looks good pale. No one looks good pale. So not even like wearing a whole bunch of like SPF one hundred. So so this summer we went to the beach, and um, I literally had on you know the rash guard, you know, 100 SPF and the sunscreen. I mean, I researched all the sunscreen. What sunscreen doesn't make you look white, you know, where you rub it in real good? I mean, I look like a ghost. I looked ridiculous, but I guess it's better than... You were the only person on the beach wearing a parka? Basically, (laughs) yes. Okay. And, And like a hat with a brim like this big. So during your experience, and I think this is something that I would want to be asked, but did anybody ask you a, you know, an an annoying question? Um, I mean, everybody deals with, you know, a friend that has this diagnosis differently and some reactions are positive or some are kind of withdrawn and maybe the others are in between, but like random questions that you were just like, what did they just ask me? Well, it's so funny. A good friend of mine who's been through not my kind of cancer, but a different one three times. We we laugh about it. She gets more of it than I did. But, um, I mean, I don't remember very much of it. Like, at the time, I remember I would always call her and be like, oh, my God, you know, so-and-so just said this to me. I can't believe it. And Because she always jokes, oh, my God, we need to write a book. And, of course, I don't remember any of it now. <laughs> but um, her best one was she had surgery this summer for the third time. And someone said to her, third time's a charm. And it's like... Really? I mean, are you kidding me? Are you, are you seriously saying that? But um, yeah, it's so much more fun that third time. But the but the best, my my favorite was someone um, called one of my best friends and was like, and I just found out, and she was like, you know, I'd really, and I didn't know her very this other person very well, and she was like, I'd really like to go take something over to Danielle, and and Cindy was like, you know, it's really in a good time, you know, if you could wait just. The couple days, you know, yeah. would probably be better. Shows up on my door, and I open the door, and she just starts bawling, crying. So I'm like, I don't even know her that well, and I'm like consoling her. I'm like, it's okay, yeah. it's okay. Yeah. And I remember she left, and I called Cindy, and I'm like, yeah, you know. <laughs> um, but it's it's funny. I mean, but it's all in mindset. I mean, they, they totally yeah, they, do. They, they do. They totally, and it's all in. It's I mean, everybody's 
trying to be yeah. so and, sweet, and you then, know, that you can't judge. So, so what is different today? The Danielle Stevens that I'm looking at right now, the mm-hmm. beautiful, uh-huh. very, very stunning and uh-huh. charming Danielle Stevens. What is different about you today than the version of you in, in 2013? Um, I don't give a shit anymore. Like, yeah. you know, the things that used to get me all worked up before. It, just, you just don't care? At all. Yeah. At all. You know, I mean, little things used to get me really worked up and, you know, things with the kids and, oh, is Charlie on the right baseball team or yeah. are we making the right decision about this? I mean, it doesn't matter as long as they're happy and yeah. I just, I don't care. And, you know, certain, you know, oh, I, you know, this friend's really pissing me off and I don't have to be friends with her, you know? Yeah. I mean, nobody says I have to be friends. You know what I mean? No, no, just, just the, the, the small, you don't yeah, sweat the small stuff anymore. So, and then, and then, um, uh, I just had a brain fart. Well, no, it, so I, I, I hate to even ask this question because it sounds so weird, but, uh, do you look back this and say, in a way, it was kind of a blessing to go through this? You know what? I mean, honestly, I think there are a lot of good things that came out of it, and it, which is weird to say yeah. because going through it, I will never forget when we got to leave that day. You know, they bring up a wheelchair, and I was like, please let me walk out of here. And they're like, no, it's yeah. procedure. You have to. And, you know, Chad and I got in the car, and I was like, get me the, you know, it's like floor it out of here. And, you know, we weren't even a couple blocks away. And I was like, I will never go through that again, ever. You know, but it's like childbirth. You know, you you forget how miserable it was. And, of course, you would do it again, you know, for your kids or whatever because you want to be here for that. I mean, it was terrible but um, but I do think it, it was a blessing in a way because you look at things differently and you see people in a different light. And, you know, we touched a little bit on the way the community rallied. Yeah. And, and one thing I wanted to touch on just real quick was um, when we left to go to Houston in March, they had organized this huge send-off for us when we left. And um, people had made posters and they all gathered around UP and I mean it was like I mean our kids teachers were there one of our kids teachers when they were at preschool at UP Methodist was there you know and my best friends were there and then you know friends that were just in our kids classes that I didn't know were there you know just so many people showed up like holding up signs like we love you you can do this and all this, and I will never forget, so we were driving down Thackeray, and then we turned on Lovers, and both Chad and I were crying so hysterically all the way, like we didn't, we couldn't even speak to each other until we got to Love, I mean, to Central, because we, I mean, even, I mean, like crying like that hysterically, like it was so moving, it was so sweet, and um, a couple of my friends that had kind of orchestrated it were so funny, because of course, you see a couple of your friends, and you have to jump out of the car and give them a hug. And then my kids are standing there, you yeah. know. And of course, I'm going to give them a hug. And I, I remember seeing this one friend of mine who's just bawling, crying, and 
you know, I jumped out of the car and gave her a hug, and I gave my kids a hug. And my friend's like, get your ass back in the car, because my immune system was so <laughs> yeah. low that I wasn't even supposed to really be around people, you know, and just everybody. And, like, some people, like, who I'm so much better friends with now that I wasn't even friends with then, you know I mean? It's just amazing the people that showed up, you know, and I'm just like... Y'all are so much better people than I am. You know no, what I mean? Yeah. Like I don't know. It's just I don't know. You just really see good in people. And and then and then my last question is, do you think you would be alive today had you not gone through that trial? That's a good question. That is a good question. I do. I mean because I do think they still would have found my donor. Um, I think it would have been a lot different process. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, I mean, I think <laughs> the, the four to six weeks of chemo consistently may have killed me. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I definitely think the donor still would have been found because it's the same database. But um, I don't know if I could have made it through that chemo. Honestly. All right. So my last question here is because getting to know you tonight, because we didn't know each other before this, your attitude is is infectious. Absolutely. I mean, you've got such a great, wonderful, uh, positive attitude That's about so it. Nice. How much do you think that your attitude played into your entire uh, regimen of, of 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 getting better and, and getting well and being cancer free right now? Well, I mean, I definitely. I mean, there were definitely days where I was not happy but I think overall it helped and my main goal was um you know you had to be in Houston 100 days post transplant and that would have put me the Friday of the kids first week of school and I told my doctor from day one I have to be home to take my kids to school for their first day and that was you know you just kind of have to set a goal for yourself and that was mine and I just i kept bugging him and I kept bugging him and I part of me thinks like he just sent me home to shut me up you know you just keep bugging him but um, <laughs> will get and um but I, I mean I do think it helped but there were definitely days where I was so down but I do think part of it was um my friends kept coming to see me and kept coming you know different friends kept coming to visit and kept keeping my spirits up which really helped well Seriously, I cannot thank you enough for sharing your well, story with y'all. us. It, it has been really amazing. It's been enlightening. I, I've enjoyed it so much. I have too. It's, well, I it's have been too. so much fun. Thank you. This has been uh, another episode and a great story. And when we say everybody has a story, this is really a special story. And, and it's been so much fun to hear your perspective on what it's like to go through cancer and treatment. And now it's in remission. So. Uh, you know, I think there is a God. So, Speaking of stories, where, where can people find and listen to this wonderful story? So please, everyone, go to Facebook. Like us on Facebook, Insignificant Others Podcast on Facebook. And you can find us on SoundCloud. And you can also find us now on iTunes. The this Insignificant week, this Others. Is new. I, this is new for us. The Insignificant Others is available on iTunes. Please go rate us. Give us feedback on Facebook. Have some comments. We'd love to hear uh, some ideas for future guests. We'd love to hear what you think about our podcast. Thanks for being with us. <laughs>